great to see you all. I know we have a few that are still coming upstairs. Uh, uh, if you are here, then you are probably either a teenager or a parent of a teenager, uh, or you are lost, uh, <laughs> trying to find your way to Han's politics talk, which is across the, the hall. So, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad to be here a little bit, just to, by way of introduction. Uh, my name is Matt Palladian. I am a lay elder here, which means that I don't work at the church, uh, but I enjoy serving here. And uh, part of that responsibility is that I'm the lay elder over high school ministry. So I spend a lot of my time, along with my wife and three children, in the basement of this building, where we have our high school and junior high ministries meet on Sunday mornings, and junior high meets Sunday evenings. We have uh, Wednesday night Bible studies. And so uh, that's part of my role here is to help shepherd that ministry of about 250 to 300 students. Uh, and uh, we, it's just a joy. I've done that for uh, the, the majority of my adult life uh, between junior high and, and high school ministry. Uh, and I believe it has actually prepared me more than I knew at the time for parenting, uh, which is uh, coming upon us, the teenage years will be here soon. I do have younger children, uh, but it has, I've noticed, uh, taught me a lot about uh, the ways of the teenager. And uh, what we thought we would do is we were thinking about, in a conference about discernment, uh, where are the areas where it is sometimes a gray area or difficult to discern certain things about lives or, or life or about certain stages in life? And so we, we thought, let's do something that really helps um, men understand what their role is and kind of what's going on, what's the swirl around us in terms of the world. And so just the goals of this morning uh, are to, to do just that. First, what is the, the circumstance of the teenage experience these days? Uh, so we were all teenagers. How many are still teenagers? Raise your hands. Sometimes. Uh, no, there are some in this room. I'm glad to see you guys, those of you who we are, uh, we, we are in ministry with and uh, thankful that you're here too. Um, here are the goals of this session. It's really a what, why, and how. Uh, what are the common issues that are confusing teenagers today? What's common? Why is it so important for us to help them discern? And how can parents and the church be involved? So what are the issues? Why are they important? And how can we help resolve those issues? And so I'm going to spend a few moments on, on those three things, the, the what, why, and how. And then we're going to, as quickly as possible, get to Q&A. Uh, and I had scheduled to have uh, both our high school and junior high pastors. Our junior high pastor, Jay, is not able to be with us today. Uh, although he did give me some notes that I've put in here, so you'll get a little bit of his perspective uh, from a junior high uh, youth pastor point of view. But uh, we do have Josh Petrus, who is our high school pastor. He has been for about four years, and he will be joining me up here. And we'll just make it a choose-your-own-adventure. So after I make my uh, comments, whatever uh, that has to do with uh, teenagers, discipling teens, uh, social issues that may come up, uh, we would love to get to your questions, uh, and, and we'll do that as quickly as possible. So before I go any further, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful uh, for a beautiful uh, blue sky Southern California day, and I am grateful for the men in this room who have prioritized their lives in such a way that they seek to understand not only how do we discern as Christians in this uh, unique time in the history of the world, uh, but also how to shepherd teenagers and understand what that specific time looks like in the life uh, of a human being who you love and we, uh, we want to uh, come alongside them and do that effectively as well. Thank you, God, for your word, which we will look at this morning, and we pray that your blessing would be upon this time. Amen. So what's going on with teens today? What do we see? What do you see? None of this is going to be very 
uh, groundbreaking, I don't think, because you're, many of you are seeing it in your own lives, if you're teenagers or in your homes. Uh, but here's just a quick poll uh, based on what I've seen over the last couple of weeks since I knew I was preparing this message. Uh, and, I, and I did a, a poll, and, I, and I've kind of put it into categories to help us kind of understand what are the big things that are affecting teenagers. Entertainment, what to watch, how much to watch, when to watch, how often to watch, uh, what to interact with. Uh, that includes gaming uh, and other kind of two-way communications and entertainment. Music, what's okay to listen to, what about language, what should we talk about. Uh, friendships, uh, what about things that happen at school, disagreements, how much should we say over text, how do we address text messaging, uh, what do we do over social media, what should we post, what should we not post, what should we like, what should we not like, who should we follow, social issues, uh, homosexuality, transgender, beauty, the beauty industry, how much makeup to wear, clothing, uh, how much clothing to wear. News stories, guns, politics. What should we think about school shootings? Relationships and romance. Sex, why do we wait? Purity, pornography, why is it bad? What does it hurt? Future decisions, whom to marry, career choices, college plans. What if I don't do well on my SATs? What if my parents don't pay? for my SATs to scores to in increase. That's a new one just this month, right? <laughs> At the core, these issues are the same as they've always been. So all of us were teenagers once. They're the same. It's music. It's entertainment. It's clothing, friendships, relationships, sociopolitical dynamics, and the future. It's all the same stuff that we were nervous about when we were teenagers. It was stuff that we were preoccupied with when we were that age. These were there. And these continue to remain at the top of the list for what teenagers are concerned about. It's a reminder of the wisdom in uh, Ecclesiastes. Solomon writes, uh, what, so this is Ecclesiastes 1.9. He writes, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will the, there be any remembrance, remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. For those of you who think there's a silver bullet, or in this room you're going to find out something new that's going on, there really isn't anything new. And that should be actually reassuring, that sin is as old as Genesis 3. And the issues that come out of sin are as old as any story in Scripture. And so when you think about how do I understand this dilemma of the teenager or this paradox of the life of a teenager, remember that you're not too far from that knowledge yourself. You just have to maybe remember. And some of us, that gets foggier and foggier the longer things go. But you just have to remember. And you also have to take count of what's going on in your own life. These are categories that we all wrestle with. How much TV to watch? What should we be watching? What about the social issues? What about the social media? We're all going through this together. But at the core, these things are the things of the world that the world has always offered us. And Solomon knew it wouldn't change. And he's right thousands of years later. We're still operating in the same world. So if it was true then, and it's true now, what might be a little bit different. At the core, we know it's the same, but there are some things that are a little bit different. And so uh, here's what I have found is new about being a teenager today that might be helpful to you. 
Um, and this is why I think what we, we say is it's a confusing in an age of teenage confusion. This is what's adding to the confusion. There was already kind of a baseline of confusion, and here's what, what, what's adding to it. Um, my assessment, three major shifts that have added to confusion. First, exponential voices. So teens of past generations have had multiple voices in their lives. Parents, teachers, peers, other adults, family members, some broad social influence or broad media influence. But today's teens have access that is unprecedented. There's thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of voices that can be accessed immediately by your teenager, by you teenagers. Each of those voices has an opinion and a point of view that can be very convincing. And that requires discernment. So exponential voices. Second, immediate information. You would likely agree that it is dizzying how quickly information gets from inception to publication in our society. I, uh, until last Friday, worked uh, at Disney, and I'm in the middle of transitioning to a new job, and uh, so I have a little bit of time here, but I was kind of reflecting on and catching my breath uh, what it was like to work in a media conglomerate and uh, how quickly news would travel. There was a day that I made a decision, or with a group of people, made a decision in a meeting room. And by the time I had gotten back to my office, it was already on Twitter, and it had been picked up by The Hollywood Reporter. That's how fast the news travels. Now, that's particularly ridiculous, but it happens so quickly. Part of it is that privacy is not something that's respected any longer, and that's why the immediate information gets published so quickly. But another part of it is just people like to talk and gossip, and they like information, and the person with the most information often has the most power in a relationship or in a position. And so when you think about how quickly information gets out there, it's all because people are kind of self-promoting. I've got this information, but it is immediate. And here's what's interesting, because I did a little work with ABC News when I was at Disney uh, years ago. Uh, I, I spent some time with some journalists who talked about that there's actually a, uh, there's a debate going on in journalism right now about whether, um, so just the inundation of information does it make more sense to be fast and wrong or to be slow and right? And the prevailing thinking is fast and wrong. We can correct it. But as you know, it's already out there. And so not only is the information immediate, but more than ever, it is not trustworthy because of its immediacy. So you've got exponential voices, you've got immediate information that, require, that requires discernment, and then what I believe is the most concerning dynamic is that you have relative truth, which is an oxymoron, but that's what it is. Uh, it is, as a society, something that we've completely departed from a single source of truth not only in our general d discourse, but in our classrooms, uh, and even in families and in churches. I overheard some teenagers talking about uh, their Christian choices, and someone, one said to the other, well, you've got to own your truth. Your truth. Everything is me and my and I. So... Whatever your truth is, is the right truth for you. And so when everything becomes relative, then nothing actually stands firm and allows you to grab something as a teenager where you're trying to find the truth, you're searching, you're learning. Teenagers are still in the process of exploring 
this world and there's no truth for them to hold on to because everything is their truth. And so they get to create their own narrative about just about anything. And so without an anchor to God's word, respect for it or his pretenses, then the single source of truth disappears. And so any type of instruction requires discernment, even instruction in a classroom. So that's the what. If you want to know what's going on, first, there are things in categories that have always been. The same categories remain. But then you add this other layer, this dynamic of what's going on in our society that makes it really hard for you to take those categories as a teenager. Take a category like, what should I think about this entertainment that I'm watching? Well, whatever your truth is, if you... If you're not offended by it, then that's fine. Or if you're, if, you're not, if you're not prone to that sin, then it's okay for you to watch that. But is that what the Bible says? That what does your truth say? So that's the what. And what I, when I think about the what, it gives way to the, to the why. Why is this so important? If we think about what's going on in, in the lives of our teenagers, which is really what's going on in the world, then the why, why is discernment so important for teenagers becomes that much more important. Teenagers have access to so many different voices, sharing information that may not be accurate with no grounding in moral or biblical truth. That gives way to a Romans 1 problem. Right? It's a perfect recipe. Romans 121 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. If you know anything about the context of Romans 1, you know that's not only dangerous, but it's damning to be in that position, to be in a place where you have no understanding of what absolute truth is or who to listen to. And so you just listen to whatever comes your way and it creates foolishness. So why do we want our teenagers to be discerning? Because we want them to do the opposite of what Romans 121 says. We want to see them honor and long to honor God, to give thanks to him rather than to become futile in their thinking. We want to see them saved. So that's kind of reason one is we want to see salvation for our young people. The second is that we want to see them sanctified. Turn to Ephesians 4. Of course, uh, Ephesians was written uh, from Paul to believers. Uh, by chapter 4, he's, he's presented the gospel several different times and ways uh, and now he's exhorting those believers to take seriously their own spiritual maturity. And so in Ephesians 4, and we'll, we'll drop to, to verse 11, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. To, measure, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be ch- children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are, able, are to grow up in every way to him who is head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. A couple of notes here in Ephesians 4. The, the phrase toss to and fro is, is, is one that I've found memorable ever since I first read Ephesians because it's such a, a good word picture of what might happen when you're not anchored to something. So, um, I'm sure many of you have been on a boat before. So whether it's a small boat or a cruise ship, when you first get on the boat, you need to get your sea 
legs, right? Because the boat is rocking and you notice right away that it's rocking. You're being tossed in, maybe not tossed, but you're being at least rocked to and fro. If it's, if you're in a rough, rough patch, you're being tossed and then maybe you're going to toss your cookies. But there's a lot of tossing going on usually, right? So you're going back and forth uh, and eventually you get your sea legs and your legs kind of start accommodating that motion of the boat, right? And over time, you don't even realize that actually you're probably, your, your legs are actually doing something, but you're doing it almost uh, unconsciously because it's, it's become what you need to do in order to not get yourself sick on the boat. So over time, you get used to it and whatever, whether it's several days at sea or just a couple of hours out in the middle of a lake, over time, you don't realize the boat's rocking anymore. And then when you get back on land, what happens? For days, you could feel like you're still rocking. Because when you're anchored, you had become so conditioned by the rocking of the boat, it takes you time to realize that you're not still rocking. The word picture is so helpful that Paul uses here because what he's doing is he's saying, and this is, and this is why I take it every time to talk about what it's like to be, a, to be living in the world as a teenager. Because you know, especially a teenager at this church, someone who's been well taught, you know when you get into rocky territory, right, teenagers in the room, you know when someone at school says something that you don't think is right, you know about it. But then you spend some time with them over and over and over again, and your legs, your mind becomes conditioned to that rocking to and fro. And so why is discernment so important? Because it helps you recognize that the boat is rocking, the world is rocking, and the anchor actually is separate from where you are. There is an anchor that you can grab onto. There's dry land. But if you stay in that boat without understanding the rocking nature of that, of that environment, it could cause you to not recognize that you are actually just surviving it. You've just conditioned yourself. And so the second reason why it is so important to be discerning is sanctification requires us to know the difference between the rocking of the world and the anchor of the true word of God. That's why discernment is so important. And if you aren't practicing that discernment regularly, you'll become conditioned. So why discernment for teens? Because at any age... Our goal is to move from being that infant who's tossed to and fro to someone who is mature in Christ, as Paul calls us to be. So we know what's causing the confusion, and we know why discernment is so important. Now, maybe the part that you've come here uh, to talk about is how can, ch- to, how can parents and the church be involved? I like to call this part shepherding without sheltering. And this is something we talk about a lot with our parents uh, who come to visit or come for for seminars. Uh, We want to make sure that shepherding is happening, but at the same time, it's happening in the context of the world that we know exists and we need to acknowledge exists, that we need to live within. So first, uh, there's there's kind of three steps in shepherding without sheltering. One is, Know your kid. Know your kid. Second is, understand the world. And the third is, to shepherd accordingly. It's what I would say is the ideal equation. And it allows you to fluctuate because those of you who are parents of multiple children will know that each child is different. Each teenager is going to approach life differently and respond differently. So you need to know your kid. And then you need to understand the world. And we took a little bit of time to talk about what's going on in their lives right now. We need to understand that. I'll add a little bit of that. And then take those two together, this kid and the world that I understand they're living in, how do I shepherd them? That's the, that's, that's the equation we want to look at. So very quickly, first, knowing your kid. I would start with the test that Pastor John 
put together for us this morning. Do they confess the divine Lord? Do they have an accurate understanding of truth? Do they express divine wrath? Do they hate sin? And are they marked by love for other believers? Are they saved? Right? So that's the first test of discernment. Know your kid and the status, the salvific status of that soul. Now, I want you to be cautious here. Don't expect discernment from a teenager who does not know Christ as Lord. Don't expect it. All that is, is whitewashed tombs. Do not anticipate that you will get discernment. You may get some obedience, but you will not get critical thinking around key issues from someone who does not know the true Lord and Savior, right? And I want to caution you on the other side, too. If they do profess Christ, they are still a teenager. They are still learning. And so don't expect them to immediately have discernment like Solomon. If they say that they're a Christian, well, they should have discerned that. They said that they have the Holy Spirit. These things take time. That's sanctification. And so make sure that your expectations are realistic based on what your assessment is of their spiritual standing. But there's more than just knowing where a student or a teenager is spiritually. You need to know them. You need to know them as a person. Not just their condition before the Lord, but also things that might be more mundane. What makes them happy? What makes them sad, frustrated, angry? Students in the room get to talk to you for a minute. Do you know this about yourself? Have you asked? Do you know what makes you upset or frustrates you? Are you self-aware enough to respond to your parents if they ask you that question? Parents, are you interested enough to ask the question? What about their interests? What about their curiosities? What are they confused about? What are they misinformed about? What do they need to know and learn? And another caution, be aware that they're going to learn it. Whatever it is that they're curious about, whatever it is that they're exploring, be aware they're going to do whatever it takes to learn it. And they have, as we talked about earlier, access to a lot of information. So consider what it is that you want them to be most discerning about, prioritize that, and invite yourself into that conversation. Teenagers in the room, what is it that you are confused about? Have you talked to your parents about that? Why not? And how can that change? And for dads in the room, might this be a good conversation maybe to start with, uh, with your wife, who often sees a lot more than we do uh, in observing and knowing our children. How well do we know this person in our midst? That's the first thing, how well you know your kid. Second is understanding the world. You guys understand the world. We talked about it. John talked about it this morning, talked about it a little bit. The world has fallen. It's hard. It's the object of God's judgment. It's temporal, 1 Corinthians 7.31, the world's passing away. We know these things about the world. It has nothing for us, 1 John 2. But that doesn't mean we don't live in the world, right? In John 17, when Jesus prays specifically for the believers that he knows there and in the future will need prayer. He intercedes on our behalf. He, he, he says he is leaving believers in the world. He is sending them back to the world. We're saved out of the sinful world, but sent back to it for a purpose. So if we understand our world and the theology that comes along with that understanding, we understand that we are called to be in the world, having a, a good understanding of that it is not our home, but still living within it. So worldliness does not equal being in the world. You're, just because we're in the world doesn't mean we're worldly. Worldliness means we're being influenced by the world. So 
It's not whether or not you continue to go to the public school that you're going to or continue to send your kids to that soccer camp that you know they're going to engage with non-Christians. Those aren't problems. The question is, what is being, what, where is the influence coming from? Are you influencing their thinking? Or is that soccer camp? Or those teachers at school influencing their thinking? And what is prevailing in terms of influence? So know that the world will influence if you don't. And so that's where shepherding accordingly comes from. So you know your kid, you understand the world in which they live, and now how do you shepherd? Uh, Write down and use uh, this for your personal quiet time, Ezekiel 34. It is my favorite passage on shepherding. And this could be shepherding a Bible study, it could be shepherding a small group, or shepherding your household. Uh, It contrasts the bad shepherds of Israel with the good shepherd, Jesus. So bad shepherds in verses uh, 2 to 6, and the good shepherd, verse 11 to 16. And I just take stock. I would just encourage you as homework after this, take stock, spend time in Ezekiel 34, take stock in whether your behaviors reflect, are reflected in the description of the bad leaders of Israel or in what Christ is coming to do to shepherd well. But I don't want to spend too much time just specifically on that because I want to get to questions. Um, I will just tell you this. When it comes to shepherding, the issue of shepherding, uh, you think about it's That's another word picture that we get from Scripture, that when a... When a group of wolves comes to attack the sheep, there is a, an intervention that happens. And the shepherd is there to intervene. But that does not happen daily. It really didn't happen as frequently as we might think. Most of the time, what the shepherd was doing is just feeding his flock, making sure that they were growing that they were healthy, that they were where they were supposed to be, that they knew where he was. That's the role of a shepherd. So we spend a lot of time, particularly as dads, fighting off the wolves. That's our goal. Like we got to get the world away from our precious children. But how much time are we spending actually feeding those sheep? Are we helping them see how scripture can take away that tossing of to and fro? Are we showing them Christ? And so here's uh, just, I put uh, six considerations for effective shepherding. Uh, and, And two of them are about you men. The first two. One is make much of Christ. If you're going to be an effective shepherd of your family and of your teenager, make much of Christ. Is it clear that Christ is Lord of everything in your life? Would anyone deny that, especially the ones that have a front row seat? Second, model discernment. They've got a front row seat. They're watching you. They're watching what you watch. They're watching what you read. They're watching you then take what you watch and what you read and formulate an opinion and sharing a perspective. I had an opportunity in making the decision to change jobs the last couple of months to bring my kids in to how I made that decision. And I did it purposely because a five- and seven-year-old don't really need to know how to make those kind of decisions right now in life. But I really wanted them to know how much I prayed to be able to pray with me in making that decision so that they could see how I was discerning the way that I went about a really big life-changing decision that will impact them. And can they then look back and say, I remember when dad was going through that. Do you share enough? Or do you kind of, you and your wife kind of do your thing? Decide between the two of you what you can in, in the hopes that you can model discernment that then will come in handy one day for, for your teenagers. Third, build a relationship. 
So this takes time, and it takes some investment, and it's going to be met with some level of disinterest because you're not the coolest person they know. One day you will be, I guarantee you, because if you think about those of us who had the pleasure and joy of being raised by Christian men, uh, I didn't always love my dad, but man, do I love him now, and he's the best. And it took some time. But I had to, I had to be part of a relationship with him, and, and that was at his initiation. And so I just encourage you... Um, there are very few people that turn around and say, gee, I wish my parents had been, le- been more distant. I don't know anyone who says, I wish my parents, gosh, I, I really pushed my parents away and I'm glad I, they stayed there. That's not, that's what it seems like the teenager wants, but that's not what they need and that's not truly what they want. In fact, I had an opportunity to ask uh, a van full of teenage boys on the way to retreat, um, what do you need from your parents? And their quote, the best quote that I got out of it, which really summarized all of the kind of wayward chatter that I heard after that question was posed, was, I just need someone to teach me how to do this. They just, that's, it's that simple. Someone's got to, someone taught you, someone's got to teach them. And you don't want it to be the f- people they follow on Instagram. So build a relationship, and that will set the table for you to help them and teach them how to do this. Fourth, partner with your wife. It should be a collective relationship with your teen. And if you don't have, if you're not on the same page, especially because teenagers are smart, smarter than, your your preschooler never noticed that you weren't on the same page, truly. Your teenager will. And they'll use it against you, but they'll also it'll drive confusion for them. So have a stable understanding in your marriage of how you're parenting your teen, and that will help you. Fifth, pick your battles. Not everything needs a discussion. Not everything is a matter of black and white life and death. I don't know what those issues are. We can talk about them in the Q&A. You're free to raise them, but there are a lot of things that you just need to back off of. They'll figure it out. If they don't write their name the way you want them to write their name at the top of the page, is that a battle you want to fight? Simple things. What The battles that you want to fight are the ones that will have internal significance for them. Uh, sixth, and finally, leverage the resources of the church. And this I'll, I'll use uh, this as a transition to bring Josh up. Uh, those of us who lead youth ministry will always say that we exist to partner with parents to see teenagers saved and sanctified. That is the goal. We partner with parents as a church, as a ministry of the church for you. And so if you're not leveraging the, the, the resources, either of the youth ministry here or the counseling services, whatever the church is here, or if you're from another church, the opportunities that you have that I know every church invests in youth ministry programs, make sure you're doing that because you don't have to do this alone. It's not, it doesn't have to be, you know, okay, I heard this seminar and now I'm off and running. Like we're here, uh, we are part of the body of Christ. You go back to Ephesians 4 And we, now having been grounded in truth, want to serve faithfully as apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints. That's what we exist for. So I want to bring Josh up, and I'll embarrass him for a moment by telling you that he uh, has uh, one of the most, uh, been one of the most profound, um, had one of the most profound impacts in our basement in many years. And part of it is because he started uh, yeah, come on up. He started as a, a, a teacher in a high school. That was his kind of <coughs> first career before he became a pastor and saw a lot of things that I think inform. He also was a teenager, still sometimes is. Um, <laughs> I am the 19-year-old youth pastor. <laughs> so should, do you want me to switch to this or ignore it? Take this one? 
Okay. Hello. Hello. Uh, so we just thought it would be helpful to you because we don't really know entirely. We can guess what's on your mind, but we don't know entirely what's on your mind when you think about uh, – discernment and what are the issues that are uh, coming up in your household or in your home. Uh, so we wanted to open that up. And you can just raise your hand and shout out your question. We're going to repeat it. Uh, yes, go ahead. Yeah, so we have a uh, – yeah, it's great. Thank you. So a highlight of, of uh, is always, the baptisms Sunday night, and you mentioned uh, we had five baptisms uh, from, from the youth ministry on Sunday. It was such a joy to see uh, those, those teenagers profess Christ in that way. The question is, we're getting to end of high school, time to decide on a college. What is – that kind of formula and how as a parent do you shepherd and guide your student uh, to that? Thought? Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, by the way, I'm Josh Petrus, high school pastor. If you've never met before, I was the baby face Matt was talking about. Anyway, um, uh, that, that's a, it's a good subject and it's one actually to talk about because a lot of times the, uh, what I'll hear from high school students is, um, hey, I've, I've already picked my college. Here's where I'm going. Do you know any good churches in the area? And what I like about that question is they are realizing the importance of being part of a church. What I'm always kind of bummed, and I never try to show it, but I cringe a little on the inside, is that should have been part of the decision-making process. Um, so right now in our high school ministry, we are uh, doing a series called How to Church. Um, and it's it's all about that if you're a Christian uh, God saved you, and he has individually gifted you, and he is securing you, and he's also designed you in a way that you're dependent on other believers, uh, that we need the local church, that membership in the local church isn't just a good idea. It's it's actually necessary for our Christian walk. And so how to go through that, I think – I always think first decision is where can you be connected to a, a solid local church, place that's going to preach the word, a uh, place where you can get accountability, where you can actually have relationships with believers, practice the one another's, serve, etc. Um, so that's, I think that's, I mean, that that's the first part. Then after, after that, it's going to be a, a little bit more dependent on the student in regards to skills, what academic interests they have, what kind of career they want to pursue, um, Where's the cheaper undergrad so when they change their major in a year, they could still keep those units and it wasn't as expensive? Uh, I mean, that's a tactic. (laughs) I I think the one thing to be cautious about is, uh, you know, again, it goes back to knowing your student. If you know that it would be better for them to be closer to home or living at home, how do you shepherd them to that? But how do you also discern that that's not necessary for the the student that might be able to to do it on a in a on on campus living experience? So that's that comes down to do, how well do you know and understand uh, your your child? How long have they been a believer? Those sorts of things that need to come into to play because then you I think we would modify uh, how you go from there. So. And that is an important decision, and it's huge. And that's where if you get that solid local church, well, you know maybe they're not as ready to just be on their own and everything. Well, I don't know any Christian that's good to be on their own for everything. Uh, so if you get them like, man, I know this local church, so even though they're going to be outside the covering of mom and dad, if they've got just a solid body of believers that we know is going to look out for them, that's a, that's a great thing for their spiritual growth. Yeah, great question. Yes. I think, I think we actually have a, a microphone, so that'll help for the recording. Uh, how's it going, everybody? Uh, Right now, uh, I have a brother in Christ, uh, you know, who uh, their teenage daughter, you know, hangs out with a, with us a lot. Uh, she comes over. She likes to spend time with us. Um, but I've noticed that uh, uh, she she likes to be a lot in uh, things like you said that are influencing her, influencing her. Um, you know, she she likes a lot of uh, YouTube. Uh, she's into K-pop, and you know, uh, I know what those things are, and I know that. They create bad influence in everything it is. Uh, I feel that uh, the brother maybe gives their teenager too much 
you know, freedom to be in that. My question is, how do I, should I approach the brother with that or should I let him do, should I just let him in his, you know, in his own, Great and he's question. a very wise yeah. brother. I mean, yeah, just, we you know, know, I, I know is, what he does and I'm like, this guy should know this, but sometimes I feel like maybe he, they give too much freedom on these things. Yeah. And that's I just think one. everybody in the room can relate yeah. to, okay, we've got another parent and there's a different dynamic. How should we, what's the appropriate way to address that? I thought at first she said that she's really into cake pops, which I was I, like, I enjoy. They're, I enjoy they're very dangerous in this age, man. Yeah. Here, 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 here. Um, oh, I just had one more question. Too. Just a thought. Yeah. What a, so I'm full disclosure. I mean, I've got a three and a half and a one and a half year old, so I don't I don't have teenagers. I've, I've been in student ministries for 12 years. Um, I've gotten to see uh, talk to a lot of different pastors and elders about it. Uh, one of the things I've gotten to see is there there are different parenting styles and differing parenting styles doesn't mean that there's only one godly way to parent and everything else is off as long as they're going back to the word, focusing on the heart. Um, so in that kind of situation, I mean, what, what I've been really helped by, uh, where, where I've taken advantage of my position is, is instead of, you know, assuming a parent's doing a right way or wrong ways, I'll just ask questions, uh, genuinely looking to, to seek out wisdom, uh, because sometimes they've got a, a read on their son or daughter that some of these areas, which, which aren't necessarily sinful, uh, which we might look at as like, well, that's a waste of time, but we, you know, we needed to figure that out in our twenties and thirties as well, right? That, okay, those were a waste of time. That's why I don't do that anymore. Like I did when I was 16. Um, you know, you can ask the, the parent, one thing I'll, I'll just say that, you know, to kind of echo some of Matt's background is uh, one of the things that we're constantly reminding our volunteers is that, um, every, every single person, but primarily students as well is a worshiper. Um, we, we don't make decisions based off of, you know, what's most intellectually correct. We make decisions based off of what we value, what we treasure, what we delight in. And so my concern always with those gray areas is not going to be the black and white, how many minutes, let's get a timetable and see how your chart's doing this week as compared to last week. My question is what's captivating, uh, what's, what's, uh, drawing their heart and, you know, if if that brother in Christ says like, yeah, they love the Lord and they just, you know, this is something they like to do in entertainment, just like, you know, I like to go golfing and you might be into HGTV, uh, whatever that might be that like it's it's the matter is what is the primary love? What's what's the thing that draws them the most? I don't know if you have anything to add yeah, to that. Maybe. Asking questions yeah. uh, and you can ask questions of anyone that comes into your home. That's your provision that you can say. So tell me about what you're watching or tell me a little bit more about this and what you get from it. Like you can ask those questions in a non-condescending, non-confrontational way. Uh, and you can also ask questions of, 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 of a brother in Christ who should know that you also are curious and, um, and interested in understanding a little bit more before kind of making a judgment. I think uh, one thing to be cautious of is uh, when you go and have those conversations, if you're doing it frequently about kind of every little thing, it gets a bit exhausting. So you kind of want to pick like, what are the questions I really want to ask of this person so that they don't find that I'm always kind of pinging them death by a thousand paper cuts, so to speak. So just picking those um, appropriately. So, thank you. I, I'm, yeah, so, I'm yes. sorry for hogging the microphone, guys. Just one more question. What do you guys think about uh, if you have a, a – I have a 10-year-old, and but she went through a dramatic growth sprout and is already you know, showing a lot of signs of teenage stuff. Um, what do you think about a teenager saying that they don't like to go to the high school or middle school ministry because of the, certain kids? And they prefer to be with their parents in the in, – their parents would prefer to take them – to the you know to the service with John MacArthur or whoever's preaching that day and let them sit with them is that wise or should should they confront one of you guys and uh, and keep them in the in the middle school or high school ministry? Our priority as the church is always that teenagers and adults and children alike hear the preaching of the word of God, and if they are hearing the preaching of the word of God, that is. That's that's what we exist to do. And uh, and so, in fact, it's so important that we hear that corporately that uh, Josh will frequently make announcements in the basement to say, if you're only coming to one service, you shouldn't be here. 
you should be listening to what everybody else is listening to in the main service. If you're coming to two, then we invite you here, and we want you to be part of that, and we are a resource. But uh, there is, you know, there is nothing insubordinate or uh, problematic about uh, parents deciding that their children are not going to be in the youth ministry. One caution I would give, I always kind of like to say, if taken too far, things like that could teach. So we do have situations where students come and they want to switch small groups and they want to switch Bible studies or they decide that they're going to come to church here on Sundays but go to another church for youth group because they think that youth group is more fun. That is actually teaching children and teenagers to church hop and to be discontent with whatever local church body the Lord has given them. And so you think about then, you, you fast forward to what Josh was talking about at, in college, that they you hear a lot of teenagers and, and, and postgraduates that come back and say, well, I'm still shopping for a church. This is not we we're not this is not a Ralph's supermarket full of churches that you get to go. You find that local body if they teach the word of of God and then and they have a community that will support that teaching and instruction, you stay there. So I think if if there's mobility that's kind of teaching church hopping, that's the only caution I would give uh to I think a little bit of what I may have heard there. Yeah, and with whatever that situation is, obviously I don't always know the the situation, so we're, we'll talk generally, not specific. But um, you know, as Christians, we've been forgiven of all our sin, right? Amen. But we still sin, right? So when a group of sinners who are committed to one another, not just to a building and to listening to the same speaker, but we're actually committed to one another, get together, are we occasionally going to offend each other? Yes, because we still sin. Now you take that down to the high school level where you've got converted and unconverted people and teenage years and raging hormones and all everything in between. And are those people occasionally going to offend each other? Yes, actually more so than that. So one of the things that you can actually teach your young person is uh, how to how to live in a group of people if, if someone's claiming to be a believer, how to do that when we sometimes rub each other the wrong way. Uh, and that's where the Bible talks to us. Like sometimes there is the Matthew 18, you've offended me and I'd love to come to you graciously. Sometimes there's the Galatians 6 that you see a brother who's in sin, you're coming alongside them. And then there's sometimes like First Peter says that love just covers a multitude of sins and you just smile and go, you know what? Uh, I have offended the Lord way more than that person's offended me, and I'm just gonna do, going to move on that. So th- that's actually maturity. Uh, so that's a great when you when you a student comes to you and goes, uh, man, I just I don't want to go down there anymore because there's so much difficulty. Read it if it's something that you need to actually get like leadership involved with it. Do so, but see there's an opportunity to how do you teach your kid how to deal with difficult people, uh, even though they probably don't realize that they're also sometimes difficult to deal with as well as we all are so none of us think so though yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. all right great questions thank you other question oh, yeah so uh oh, oh yes microphone so, <laughs> so one of the questions was already kind of answered but uh it's not my child it's my it's my nephew he's 14 years old and you know lately just kind of want to be in his life more because he got out of foster care and he kind of wants to be a mine um so as opposed to being a father and kind of having that authority, like I kind of, like he's kind of sensitive, I guess, at a crucial time in his life. So I um, just advice about kind of similar, like you know, he wants to stay in the adult group, but I I kind of want him to know some of the some of the young people, and so how to like encourage him to maybe go. Um, but that question was kind of already answered. But uh, lastly, um, about cell phones in church and stuff like that. And uh, so the part I got was about building a relationship and getting to know him. So from like an uncle standpoint, you think it's like a lot different or not really. And um, about cell phone, because I mean, technically I didn't pay for it. So I can't just be like, hey, I'm, you know, um, I need you to put that away right now. And if you keep it up, I may have to take that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, so first of all, wonderful that that you have that opportunity. Praise the Lord, because uh, there are so many who kind of come out of that situation and just don't have anyone that's going to take them under their wing. So 
continue to do that. And yes, you're right. The relationship building aspect of what we're talking about is the way to start to set that foundation. And relationship, not just based on I'm the guy that takes you to church, but do you get to learn about everything that's going on with him? Do you ask questions? Are you exploring? And not in a way that's going to seem like you're trying to search for something that's wrong and then immediately dive into that. But just, hey, tell me what you're into. Tell me what your friends are talking about. Tell me what, you know, if you could do anything right now, what would you be doing? You know, questions that are more like that to just establish that relationship. The opportunity to then shepherd things like cell phone use during church, that comes in time. And I, I would just, you've got to, you've got to establish yourself as a credible adult influence in that life so that you can then have the opportunity to, to, to shepherd anything else. I'll just add one quick thing that'll apply to everybody. Uh, it relates to that, getting them involved somewhere other than just them maybe tagging along with you the whole time. Ligon Duncan was at Shepherd's Conference a few years ago. I mean, he, he was here last year too, but a few years ago, he said a survey was done uh, about what students leave the church and what students stay in church. And statistically, the, the biggest influence on kids that stayed in church after they graduated high school is they had a relationship with at least one adult that wasn't their parent in the church, a significant spiritual relationship with somebody in the church that was an adult that wasn't their parent. Uh, that's, it's teaching them that you're connected to a larger family and uh, helping them invest it. It's a little bit of making their own, but just if that's helpful uh, as well, that's what we do. They're broken into small groups in both junior high, high school as well, getting to know older people in Christ. It's very challenging as a parent. It's very challenging to try to, that fine line. You don't want to push them, but you want to bring them to Christ. Well, I mean, you try to teach them the to get closer to Christ. So for me as a parent, that's a very thin line. I got to sometimes, you know, I got to die to myself. Sometimes sometimes I don't feel, am I being a parent that's disciplining or am I just kind of just trying to get them locked, you know, trying to get build a relationship with Christ? You know, because I take my son to school, uh, I bring him to church, but he's kind of, uh, he don't want to come to church. So I take him with me. So Sometimes I, I push them, I not push them, but I put them to do notes. Like, you want to come to the big church with me? Take notes. So he'll take notes, and then I'll, I'll ask him. I do a Q&A after, like, what did you learn? Tell me what you learned. Tell me. So it's kind of, it's kind of, it's rough, like, what the kids are exposed to nowadays. I see it. I had to take his phone. So it's, I'm kind of going through a good challenge, but I just think that I take him to the church. But I just think that I want to get, I'm glad you guys are here. That I know that he can, I can come up to one of you guys and kind of just try to disciple my son to get more closer into the church because all that bad influence in schools, and I can't send him to a private school. I can't afford it, so he has to, he has to go to that school. So little by little, it's just it's just a challenge. Sometimes in the morning I have to I hear uh, Alistair Beck with them. I go, we're gonna hear a fairy message, and I know you're like, oh, there we go again. So how do you draw that line? It's just kind of like a like. Am I pushing them? Am I being too hard? Or am I loving them and bringing them in? Yeah, so uh, raise your hand if you're a dad that can relate. <laughs> so I think just only to tell you that uh, I don't think you're alone in any way. And even those of us who don't yet have teenagers understand the passion that with which you want to see your child approach the body of the church and ultimately be saved, of course. Um, so a, a couple of things that I, I think I just want to highlight. One is that uh, open-ended questions are good, uh, but a dialogue is better. So it doesn't have to be a quiz show after church. Rather, like, toss out something interesting that came out of the sermon. Like, so apparently there's a heaven and a hell. How do you think you get to each of them? Do you believe in that? Like asking questions that are a little bit more basic rather than, so the, what are the three points of the sermon could just be a tactic, right? So, you know, and, you know, and that could, could really promote some good dialogue and conversation. So that's just kind of a, uh, kind of a simple tactic, something that we also teach our small group leaders in high school ministry is just to meet the, that student where they are rather than trying to get them way up here because uh, you're flying too high and it's just you're going to miss each other. 
I think the other thing is, so student ministries is not there to take roll call and to, you know, attendance, but we are there to build a relationship. And if, if a student is there, our, our prerogative is to build a relationship with the student. And, uh, if, and particularly if they are there on a Wednesday night, harder to do that on a Sunday morning with, with a group about this size in the basement. So if, you're looking to get a student more plugged into youth group, uh, we, we would invite you to do a Wednesday night. Thank you. I'll just add real quick. I often ask my wife how my parenting is, and I ask godly men, so Matt's one of them that will see how I'm parenting, what do you see in my parenting? And so that's just, if you're wondering about that push-pull, am I going too hard or too soft, just ask people that see you parent and get feedback and I seem to keep going back to the idea of local church. This is why we need other believers involved in our lives so they could see how we're doing. Hello. Hi. I just wondered uh, what you thought about video games. Like, what are what were your thoughts about those? And uh, also, like, specifically offline video games, not necessarily, like, multiplayer kind of thing, things. Like, how do you think that affects us as teenagers' minds. Yeah. So I liked Pastor John's um, answer to, to a question about whether or not a grown man, so that was more kind of focused on, should men be engaging in, in video games? And what he said was really helpful, and I would say it's the same for a child or a teenager, whether it's multiplayer or individual user. It's what are you being captivated by? What is taking your attention? And what is... Is that becoming something that's distracting you from other things that could be more helpful or things that you should be doing more, um, you know, are you, are you interested in playing games instead of doing homework? You end up doing homework way too late at night. It's not, it's sloppy. Like there are things that come out of an affection for things like video games that are a distraction. But at the core, and this goes for cell phones, it goes for computers and everything else, video games are not inherently evil, right? So everything has uh, a a moral kind of influence, but only based on the way you use it, not the way it exists. Inanimate objects are not, do not have necessarily any evil attached to them, only that you could use them for good or for not. Yep, and I would just add with you know some passages. So I'm thinking Colossians three, set your mind on things above. I'm thinking Ephesians five, make the most of the time. That not as like you know these are the black and white distinguishers, but these are principles that I'm using to to guide my decision making. Am I thinking on heaven? Am I thinking on Christ? Am I making the most of the time? I, I didn't stop playing video games because I just decided one day I don't like them anymore. I just I just had different desires and more responsibilities. And as those added up, I'm like I just don't have time for it anymore uh as both as a christian as a husband as an employee now as a pastor it's it's those biblical principles that guided so. great great question yeah. right here um as an educator of middle school and high school students and the encroachment of lgbtq into the classroom what is our responsibility to our students and and also in in the profession how long can we hold the line or is it time to start thinking about other other uh, forms of careers and things like that Thank you. Yeah. So um, as a as a teacher, uh, what I, I I loved being a teacher. I think I preached my best high school sermons when I was a as an algebra teacher and a and a lay pastor uh, because I was in their world. I knew what was going on. But my primary responsibility when I was there was to teach math, which sounds as dreadful as I just described it. Uh, described it now. Uh, yeah, so my my bigger concern there, like I, um, I I know some some teachers, maybe that's you and that's fine, that, that they're known as the pastor teacher on campus and they always sermonize. Uh, I had 50 minutes a day to help them find the X vertex. And so that's that was my primary job. So um, what's my role on that? I, you know, it, it's... It's hard to be a teacher and say, like, I want to be the moral influence by my speech. I think I have to do so by, more so by my example, by my character, by what they see. Uh, in regards to pushing the, the LGBT agenda, I think it just, you know, we don't, we don't sin if, if uh, we must obey God rather than man. Um, 
But I never had that decision when I was, again, teaching math. So, again, I think it's going to be based on your type of career that you're in and, and uh, you know, what you're exactly teaching. But I didn't have to face that decision. Matt, you could yeah, add I mean, it's that. becoming a, a reality. I'm in human, human resources, and um, obviously there's a lot of dynamics even from – a legal perspective that we need to make sure that we're abiding by the law of the land, Romans 13. And so, uh, so no, I do not think the answer is to separate ourselves because we are the light unto a dark place. And we are called again. The only reason we are saved and not taken immediately to heaven is because we're sent back to the world to preach the gospel. Now, we can't always do that decisively and specifically. We can do it more by our example. And so in the workplace, I think that's, and we can have a conversation, feel free to talk to me afterwards about workplace. Schools are starting to become much more kind of open to this idea and they're starting to uh, use it. It's really influencing the curriculum. In that case, some of you may not have an option and that's okay. Keep your kids in public school, bring them home, teach them the truth. Because the Bible is the word of God and it will always be. Their teacher is going to pass away. The Bible will help you anchor them to what is true. And if you're having an ongoing dialogue, I, my son came home from a school assembly. He's in second grade where a student, um, a boy once said that they, he's now going to be a girl in the middle of the elementary school, which, by the way, the elementary school was not planning on, and that was a whole big deal. But um, but that it happened, and it created a great opportunity, a lot earlier than I would have wanted it to happen, but a great opportunity for me to talk about those things and what Scripture says immediately. So use those as opportunities rather than things that you want to be too cautious of or wayward of, because it just increases the opportunity to have that dialogue. So I'm looking at the time, and we've—I don't want them to run out of lunch for these guys. Now, at the beginning, you said we don't know what's on your mind, but I do right now. Lunch, lunch. Um, I would like to close our time in prayer. Josh and I will stay here uh, if if anyone wants to come up afterwards. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good and perfect God, and what an uh, extraordinary honor it is to know that you are still saving sinners who are not good and not perfect and bringing them to you so that we can be used for your glory. Thank you, God, for the role that you've given these men as fathers and husbands. I pray, God, that this has been an encouragement to them and uh, a charge, Lord, that we all have and a reminder that uh, you call us to be diligent in this work of parenting and of uh, just being active in our church. And I thank you for the diligence with which these men have shown, even in getting giving up a Saturday to be here and part of this conference. Lord, help them uh, not only to uh, be good and effective parents, but be good and effective ministers of your gospel. Uh, thank you for the day. Thank you for the lunch we're about to have. Uh, and thank you for the rest of this afternoon, which will continue to help us to discern uh, in this uh, really unusual time in history. In Jesus' name, amen.